Well, today's an important day because tonight at seven o'clock this evening, Prime Minister Boris Johnson is going to hold a much anticipated national broadcast where he's going to lay out the roadmap for phase two in the UK's fight against the coronavirus. Now, if you've been following the reports and the news and the media this week, you'll have noticed that the TV, the newspapers, the headlines, etc., everything online uh, has been asking lots of questions about what if this happens or what if that happens? And there's been lots and lots of back and forth about what the changes might be and what's going on. Lots of questions like, well, what if certain elements of the lockdown are lifted? Or what if lockdown continues for another three weeks? What if the R rate, this magical R number, goes up? What if the death rate and the sad passing of many people continues to occur? What if there's a second wave? Lots of what if questions. We all wait with bated breath to see how he's going to answer them. But sometimes those what if questions strike a little bit closer to home. What if I get sick? What if someone I love dies? What if the economy doesn't bounce back and I lose my job? And perhaps in a more wider sense, what if those things that I long for, the desires that I have, are never met and my worst nightmares come true? There's much in our world right now that is able to cause us to fear. So how do we answer the what if question? What if the worst happens? Fears can be all encompassing. They can be heart stopping, but sometimes they can also just nag and gnaw at us, especially as we read the discouraging news of the present and wonder about the future. The what if questions affect us. They stifle our joy. They destroy our peace. They leave us insecure. Perhaps you have felt like that in times past. Perhaps you feel like that right now. The first thing to say is that it's actually okay to feel like that, to ask the what if questions, to feel uh, a sense of insecurity and a lack of peace. In fact, the, there's people in the Bible who felt just like you might do right now. They had lots of what if questions. So, for example, when God commanded Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, and out of the bondage to slavery to Pharaoh, Moses said, well, what if the people of Israel, they don't believe me? Then there's another story where Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, sends his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And the servant that goes says, well, what if the young woman who I find won't come home with me? Or when Joseph's brothers realize that Joseph has risen to second in command in Egypt, they say, what if our brother holds a grudge against us? Lots of people are like you and me, wondering what happens if the circumstances of our life go pear-shaped. So you might be there this morning facing a, a staggering selection of what-if questions. Some of them are minor. Some of them are life-altering. And the uncomfortable truth that we have to get to grips with is that we don't know what will happen. Anything could happen, in fact. You could get sick. We could lose our jobs. We could lose someone that we love. None of us is free from tragedy or pain. None of us has a guarantee of an easy life. None of us, ever. So how do we answer the what if question? Well, this morning I want to turn to Daniel chapter three for an answer. So let me invite you to turn there right now. 
Daniel chapter 3 is a famous story, even if you know nothing about the Bible, if your biblical knowledge is very sketchy. But you might have heard about three men in a fiery furnace. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Or if you watch Veggie Tales, it's Rack, Shack and Benny. Or growing up, my mate Trev used to call them my shack, your shack and a bungalow. Anyway, Daniel chapter 3. Let's read together. This is what God's word says. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. So that means 90 feet high, nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. And then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers and the justices and the magistrates and all of the officials of all the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are all commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn and the pipe and the lyre and the trigon and the harp and the bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a fiery burning furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that certain time, uh, sorry, therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the fairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, furious in rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe and every kind of music, fall down and worship the image that I have made. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, fell down into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste and he declared to his counsellors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair on their heads was not singed and their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god other than their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the province of Babylon. <clears throat> Let me pray and then we'll get going in the text. Father, thank you for your word. Please help us to understand it now. Help this familiar story to come alive with freshness to us so that our faith in the midst of the current fiery furnace of the days that we're experiencing and living in may be strengthened and that we might trust you like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We ask this for our good and your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, at the end of chapter two, we find King Nebuchadnezzar face down before Daniel and Daniel's God. The story goes that he'd had a bad dream and that Daniel was the only one who could interpret the dream for him. And the dream's interpretation was that God would allow kingdoms to come after Nebuchadnezzar, but that he would overthrow all human kingdoms and establish his own everlasting kingdom. But as we get into chapter three, we uh, we see that. King Nebuchadnezzar has other plans. He decides that he's going to prove otherwise. So he builds a statue of gold that is 90 feet tall and nine feet wide, a sort of weird, tall and thin looking thing. And he demands that all the peoples in his kingdom, wherever they are, worship him. So he gathers all of the richest, most influential, most highly educated people together in the plains of Jura. And he gathers together all of the musicians from his kingdom. Uh, and so you should really think like, 
Olympic ceremony, Olympic opening ceremony, where all of those officials are gathered and there's great pomp and ceremony. And he says that when the music plays, everybody's got to fall down and worship this image that I have set up. Now, as we read the story, perhaps you're wondering, where are God's people in all of this? Are they bowing down too? But verses 8 to 12 give us the answer. We don't have to wait too long. Back in the at the end of chapter two, we're told in verse 49 that Daniel was in the royal court. So the implication is that he wasn't here on the on the plains of Jura. But three of his friends are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They were also officials who were flying high in the kingdom of Babylon at the time. And when the music plays, we're told because of the implication of the story that they didn't bow down. Because jealous colleagues accuse them of treason and they go to Nebuchadnezzar to provoke his wrath with very calculated words. They say to him, these men, they're not like us. They don't believe that you're the true king of the world. They don't believe that you're a godlike figure like we do. And so they won't bow down to you and they won't bow down to the statue that you've set up. So then in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar flies off into a rage and he summons Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego before him and he questions them. And then he gives them a second chance to bow down before him. And we're warned right the way through the passage that disobedience will lead to death. In fact, eight times in this chapter, we're told in verse 6, 11, 15, 17, 20, 21, 23 and 26 that disobedience will result in death. So they're given a second chance, but Rakshak and Benny refuse to bow. Nebuchadnezzar then is even more enraged and he wants vengeance. So he orders them uh, to be thrown into the fiery furnace. He orders that the fiery furnace be heated seven times, which is like that biblical image of as hot as you can get. It's super hot. And he has the, his strongest men in, in his army bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the fiery furnace. In fact, the flames are so hot that the mighty men, the soldiers are literally cremated on the spot. Such is the heat of the furnace. And the narrator is, is painting for us a picture of the hopelessness and the helplessness of the situation that Rack, Shack, and Benny face. Then in verse 23, they're cast into the furnace to a sure, quick death. With the words of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 15 probably ringing in their ears, he says this, who is the God who can save you from me? Then he sits down, Nebuchadnezzar, probably with a maybe a glass of wine and a few grapes in his hand to watch these three men burn to death because of their disrespect for him. And he leaps to his feet. He's shocked. Because what he sees is these three men are unbound and unhurt in the flames. Instead of perishing in the fire, they're very much alive. And there's someone else in there with them. There's a fourth figure in the fire. Well, he can't believe his eyes. He kind of rubs them and he calls them out and he says, come here, come out of the fiery furnace. I need to talk to you about what's going on, which is an obvious question to, to raise with them. Because in the hottest furnace, which had cremated the strongest men in the army, they come out of the fire completely untouched, completely unharmed. No scorch marks, no singes, no smell. On Thursday, when the weather was nice, we had a barbecue in our garden and I lit the charcoal 
uh, and we waited for it to uh, get ready for us to be able to heat. And the smoke was incredible. For some reason, it gave off so much smoke that our smoke alarms in our house were going off. My eyes were watering. The neighbors were complaining. And all my clothes smelled bad. And that was just from a barbecue. But here in the superheated furnace of Babylon, these three men had no marks, no scorch marks, no singeing, no smell. If the narrator was trying to paint a picture of the hopelessness and helplessness of the situation in verse uh, 19, in verse 27, he wants to paint a picture of the completeness and the comprehensiveness of God's salvation. The fire that Nebuchadnezzar meant as persecution and punishment for disregarding his greatness and his glory was actually used by God as a means to show his greatness and glory as the one true living God. And in the end of the story, at the end of the chapter, the same Nebuchadnezzar who said in verse 15, who is this God who can save you from me, says in verse 28, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any other God than their own God. Daniel chapter three begins with Nebuchadnezzar's decree to, to destroy Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego for worshiping God. But it ends with him saying he will destroy anybody who says anything against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego's God. And what we learn from chapter three is this which is the theme of the whole book of Daniel, that in spite of present circumstances and appearances to the contrary, our God is in complete sovereign control of history and the universe, and he is doing everything for his own glory. So Daniel chapter three reminds us of that, but it also does two other things. The first thing is this, it confronts the reader. The story of Rack, Shack and Benny confronts the reader. When faced with the di dilemma and the demand to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar, even at the threat of pain, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego do not waver. They don't ask for a lifeline. They don't phone a friend. They don't even use the kind of the Christian religious. Well, let me go away and pray about it and come back to you. No, they speak with one voice and make a remarkable declaration of some of the most courageous words ever spoken. This is what they say in verse 16 and 17. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they start with a declaration of confidence, utter confidence in God's power and ability to rescue them if God so desires. But then they say this, but even if not, but even if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they have an utter confidence in God that he is able to deliver them, but they also have utter faith in God no matter what. 
Now, the story is really familiar to us. And so we know the end. And so it's easy for us to think that they had some special word from God about how it would all work out in the end, that they knew it would be a happy ending. But they didn't. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were stood before Nebuchadnezzar, they had no idea that they would be delivered. They thought they were going to be burned to a crisp. But they had eyes of faith. Not for changed circumstances, but they believed that their God was bigger and better than Nebuchadnezzar, that he was bigger and better than the Babylonian gods, that he was bigger and better than worldly kingdoms, that he was bigger and better than everything else. And the unfolding truth through the book of Daniel is that our God can do all that he pleases. He can preserve his servants when fed water and vegetables or in a fiery furnace, or in a lion's den. He's a God who reveals dreams. He's a God who sends angels. He's a God who rebukes kings. He's a God who tears down kingdoms, who brings low and who raises up. And they knew that. They had eyes of faith to see this God. They knew his power, even if they didn't know his plan. And they trusted in his power without knowing his plan. And that's an expression of true biblical faith, to trust in the power of God, not knowing the plan of God. And for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the what if questions were changed to a statement of even if. From what if to even if. That even if the worst happens, even if we are thrown into the fiery furnace, even if God chooses to let us burn, we will trust him. Even if we have to be martyrs for our faith, we know that God will take care of us. They knew that their God was strong enough to rescue them if he chose. But even if he didn't, they would not give in to fear. They would not give in to unbelief. They would not forsake their confession of faith in him. He was enough for them. So let's take that into our own lives right now as we think about lockdown, the coronavirus or anything else that might be affecting us right now. Even if our deepest fears are realized, will God be enough for us? Even if we lose our health and it spirals downwards and we end up in hospital, will God be enough for us? Even if we lose a loved one, will God be enough for us? Even if we lose our jobs, our income, our home or our current level of lifestyle, will God be enough for us? Perhaps it's a different situation. Even if you never marry or remarry or experience love, or have children, or don't have any more children, will God be enough for you? Even if suffering strikes, or suffering continues, and we never see any purpose in it, will God be enough for us? Even if we have to give up all of our dreams and surrender those things that are dear to us, relinquishing those things that we feel entitled to, will God be enough for us? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego show us that even if the worst happens, God is enough and his grace is sufficient.
Do you have the eyes of faith that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had to see that God is bigger and better than everything and anything else? Those two simple words, even if, can take the fear out of life. If you can replace the what if questions with even if statements, it's one of the most liberating exchanges that we can ever make. Even if God will be enough. We can trade all of our fears of uncertainty in the present and in the future for the loving assurance of our all powerful, all good, all knowing, all sovereign, unchanging God. The prophet Habakkuk models this exchange beautifully for us uh, in his book. Having pleaded with God to save God's people, Habakkuk closes out his book with this most beautiful even if. It's in your notes. It's Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the produce of, of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. For God, the Lord, is my strength. The story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego confronts us. Even if, is God enough? But it doesn't stop there. It also comforts us. The story of Rakshak and Benny is meant to comfort us. In verse 24, when they are in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth figure who is with them. Now, Millions of pages, I think, have been written in speculation about who this fourth figure is in Daniel chapter three. Is it a pre-incarnate Christ because Nebuchadnezzar calls him one like a son of the gods? Is it an angel that he references later in verse 28? It, it doesn't seem to be clear from Daniel chapter three. And that's pretty much my position. It's not clear. But what is clear is this. The figure who is with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace is a physical demonstration of God's presence with his people in the midst of suffering. And it's a picture of the power of God to deliver those who trust in him for salvation. You see, Daniel chapter three, God doesn't just rescue his people from the fire. He sends his emissary to pass through the fire with his people. God promises his people that they can count on his presence with them, ensuring that no trial will ever overwhelm us. It reminds us of the theme of Daniel. In spite of present circumstances and appearances to the contrary, our God is in complete sovereign control of all things and he is with us. So you and I today, we have something far better than a, just a reassurance that the dreaded what ifs won't happen. We have the assurance of a loving God that even if they do happen, he will be with us in the midst of the fiery furnace. That he will carry us, that he will walk with us, that he will comfort us, that he will tenderly care for us. God is not promising us a trouble-free life, and we know that. But what God is promising us is that he is good and that he will be there with us in the midst of sorrow 
in the midst of pain, in the midst of difficulties and in the midst of trouble. And he will never leave us or forsake us. And the message of Daniel 3 takes on even richer meaning as you scroll through the pages of the Bible and get to the New Testament. Because for Jesus, the son of God, stepped down into the fiery furnace of this world, into the blazing rebellion and hostility of a people made in God's image who had rebelled against him and chosen to ignore him and live apart from him. And he stepped down into that fiery furnace to take on the white hot, superheated, seven times strength wrath of God that would so easily commit, cremate all sinners. Like you and me. And Jesus stepped down into that fiery furnace so that we might be delivered and saved, so that we might come out without smell or scorch or singe mark. And he promises that he will be with us even to the very end of this world, Matthew 28. And that he will never leave us or forsake us and always stands ready to help us in time of need, Hebrews chapter 4. So you and I, let's ask ourselves the question, even if you feel like you're standing in flames that are burning hotter than usual, even if you feel like you simply can't go on, do you see the fourth person in the fire with you? Do you see Jesus, not like the sons of the gods, but the son of God, who is Emmanuel, God with us, with us in the fiery furnace? One who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. One who has suffered and bled and died for us. Do you know the depth of God's love? Do you see his nail pierced hands that invite you to draw near? That he will embrace you with, that he will care for you with, that he will comfort you with. Do you hear him whisper his love in your ear? And do you know that even now he is strengthening you for all that you face? Or has the deceiver, Satan, stolen your courage? Has he whispered into your ear doubtful questions? Maybe the flames aren't touching your body right now, but they're singeing your faith. The message of Daniel chapter three and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is clear. Turn your eyes on Jesus. In spite of present circumstances and appearances to the contrary, God is sovereign over all things and he's working out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And he's doing that through Christ. So don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't give us give up in the fight of faith. Instead, consider him who endured so much hostility against himself so that he could save you. And in the grace that God supplies, let us all stand and say together, my God is able to deliver me from this nightmare, whatever that might be, if he chooses. But even if he does not, he's enough for me and I will bless his holy name. And one day I will wake to see him in glory. Let me pray.